Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And you are welcome along to the special Halloween Day edition of the Hoddle Breakdown, where neither of us had the respect for the holiday to get dressed up, other than two kind of maybe <laughs> chubby, uh, slightly balding middle-aged Celtic supporters. Is that what we're going at as uh, to our Halloween Day today, Alan? I don't know about you. That's what I'm going as, apparently. That's my that's my costume. Yeah, I've I've covered up the the handsome, good looking one with a <laughs> fat middle aged balding bloke look. It's yep. always a always a always a winner that at Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> always a crowd pleaser in my household as well. Um, so yes, uh, J- James here hosting. Uh, my good friend Alan Morrison from Celtic by Numbers. Um, I, I think Celtic got in costume in this past week too. I, I think they went as the Batman villain uh, Two Face. Uh, so between Wednesday last week and, and, um, the game against Hibs, my goodness, uh, from just a, a a handsome devil to an ugly villain, uh, within the span of three days. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to review, um, that glorious, um, display of footballing excellence and entertainment on, on the weekend. Uh, and then we'll look ahead a little bit to, uh, tomorrow's game against St. Marin. Um, so yeah, Alan, what uh, what what's your kind of high level uh, take on the performance and result from the weekend, and then we'll kind of dig in with some some very meaty issues that I think are going to come out of the conversation. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Just to tee up, what I would like to get into is just thinking about what Roger said before the game about in in response to a question about you know his team where the I can't and I'm sorry I can't remember exact quotes of. of just not enough time to, to go and look at it. But again, but it was roughly along the lines of, you know, would the team be tired after the exertions in midweek? And would you be looking to sort of rotate the, the squad, etc.? And Rogers gave a very bullish, quite spiky, actually, answer to that and then picked the same team. So I want to get into that a little bit, what the impact of that was, use of the substitutes, etc., which got mixed reactions, I think, from what I can see across the uh, the, the the Celtic uh, sphere. Um you know, listen, this was a game where uh, Celtic have got a terrible record at Easter Road, right? <laughs> and this was yet another. And, I, and again, I haven't had time yet to dig into that record at Easter Road and see what the sort of trends are. Because, you know, losing four goals in a game when the league's won is a little bit different to, um, you know, is, is a specific context. Coming off the back of playing a really, really top side 
and, and, and giving everything on the pitch uh, in that game is another context. So all these things are important. So, um, but, but nevertheless, we do seem to have an awful, I think it's two and 12 now with one at Easter Road, which is in the context of Scottish football. It's possibly our hardest away game of the season, actually. Uh, possibly. Um, so, um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't great from a creativity point of view. It wasn't great from an entertainment point of view. So, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot of things to get into in terms of um, the team that was picked and and the subs that were used. Yeah. I, I, so, um, again, just from a statistical perspective, uh, you know, kind of your normal Celtic dominating possession. Um, I think the um, Part that was alarming to me quickly was, and I mean alarming in the sense of, oh boy, maybe we have another relatively competent manager to uh, confront in the league. <laughs> is, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, uh, you know, he set up, he, he seemed to learn maybe uh, from their experience at Ibrooks. And uh, I think he, um, their manager, um, looked like he maybe, uh, uh, applied some lessons from that experience and um, set up pretty defensively and almost, you know, as, as I worry about chronically is these uh, that, that next tier of quality in the league, kind of the Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen, playing that more pr pragmatic defensive counterattacking, um, uh, particularly at home, uh, at their home grounds against us, uh, playing for the nil-nil pretty much. Uh, and that looks to me like how they set up and did a pretty good job of it. Uh, they're pretty well organized and tough to break down. And, you know, as we've talked about in recent weeks, that's a, a point of concern that we've had as far as creative play out of the wing positions. And um, so, yeah, I, I, for the first hour, basically, there wasn't much in the game. I mean, it was even from an XG perspective shots. I mean, it was not, you know, it, it was like uh, Chinese water torture from a, from an entertainment perspective. Um, and, and then, yeah, the subs actually brought a little bit to the game. And, um, so yeah, what, what are your thoughts there? I know you, you've done a little bit of, um, work on looking at the, the, the creativity and how things went. And I, let's obviously, you know, we'll talk about the injury part too, cause I think they probably changed the game to a degree as well. But, um, yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on how the, the, the subs and the performance levels kind of, uh, progressed? Yeah, so I, I was very keen to look at the wing, the play of the wingers. This is something which I think was flagged up uh, earlier in the season that, you know, without Jota, without Abada, um, without the sort of balance of Jota and Maida giving different problems to a defence, um, we, we've really been lacking, I think, this season in, in terms of wing play. And, and and this was probably the the worst example or the, or the best example, whatever you want to say, of of that phenomenon. Um, but I think again, within the context of, you know, Rogers gave a very spiky response to the fact that oh, these are professional players. This is what it takes to play for Celtic. You play twice a week. They're all hard games. Uh, get on with it. Type of thing was was more or less his response to the question that I teed up earlier. And then it, sure enough, he he played exactly the same team. That finished the you know well it's essentially you know Bernardo replaced Hatati otherwise it was the same team that started in midweek, um, but all the evidence uh, up to the, as you say up to when the second half subs came on was that this was an incredibly tired team because and how does that manifest itself it manifests itself in I think there's a couple of things happening so you, you've replaced 
a high risk taker in Hitati with a player in Bernardo that I don't think we really understand what he is yet, but he looks to be quite strong defensively. Uh, and we haven't seen a lot of his kind of creativity yet. And he certainly hasn't been taking much risk in his passing um, or, or, or getting, even though he was the most forward of the three uh, central midfielders and, and effectively replaced the Tati in that role, supporting Kyogo. Uh, we didn't see a lot of of him in that in that sense, um, so so you're kind of one down in terms of you've you've taken out somebody who can do unexpected things like Hatati can that open up defenses and replace them with somebody who looks to be incredibly competent in in some of the skills that Matt O'Reilly's got, which are pressing, closing down the opposition, being quite athletic, which is what we've been calling for. But you know, this is a really delicate balance. So therefore, the onus really. In terms of um, attacking creativity, chances, uh, then falls to um, the, the wide players. And so, what, what I what I did during the game was I actually documented every on-ball action that both wide players played. Now, I've not quantified this; I've not put any numbers around it um, yet. But I'm going to write it all up. But just to tee, tee that analysis up, really, is that. A couple of things. So one is that Maeda got on the ball probably half as much as Palmer did, and and I'm just looking back um, through Maeda's uh, on-ball actions, and there was I think one, two, pack passes out of all of his actions, and the rest were either passes backwards, forward passes that didn't that didn't really progress that much. Um, one shot at goal, uh, a couple of square passes, one failed take on or dribble, one cross that didn't get in, didn't make it into the box. Um, and, and otherwise, it's all passing backwards or losing the ball. And then we look at Palmer. Palmer was far more involved in the game. Uh, Scales in particular did a good job of finding Palmer wide on the left and again he, he he actually had the highest xg of any player on the pitch but but none of them were significant chances they were all long shots from outside the box or even wider than the box and again I'm, i'll document this and i'll put try and sort of quantify it but essentially um you know it, it's a story of either losing the ball in the final third without doing anything with it or passing backwards and and so essentially, you know, Celtic got very little really in terms of you know attacking threat from their their wide players. I think the overall um, so I do a, like a attacking threat score. So somebody like an Edward, for example, just use that as a benchmark. For example, Edward would would average around about nine to ten this attacking threat score in a game. So Maida had like three, and Palmer had like four. Off, uh, so pretty low scores really. Um, you're looking at Palmer four shots on target, four shots off target, none on target. Maeda had the one sort of big chance of the game that fell to him. Maeda didn't create a single chance. Palmer uh, created uh, one chance uh, in the whole game. So a real deficit of, but not just outcome and output from the wide players. It, it was intent. It was, you know, there were occasions where. Scales or Taylor would pass to Palmer and they'd actually take out the whole midfield and the two forwards and therefore Palmer would be one-on-one -on -one with the fullback 
and and he never he virtually never took him on. The only time that they got beyond the fullback was if Taylor overlapped. Otherwise, it never happened. Same same with Maeda. So you had two fullbacks essentially just turned turned in and came back again constantly. Now, as you said, you, you know this is again um, cognitive dissonance amongst the Celtic support. There there was general. Uh, you know, derision almost when you know we we end the game with with Turnbull, Johnston, more Morris uh, uh, Johnston, <laughs> Mikey Johnston, <laughs> and uh, James Forrest. And, uh, James Forrest, you know, uh, as the sort of attacking creative players. But it, the reality was, as James said, it was fifty-fifty. Very little. Um, you know, Celtic hadn't touched the ball in Hibbs's penalty box. Until Johnson and Forrest, until Forrest and uh, who, who I think was the other, who was the first other sub Turnbull. Until Forrest and Turnbull came on, Celtic had not touched the ball in Hibbs's half, Hibbs's box in the second half. Right? Um, they they barely even lost the ball in the final third because they never even got there. So yeah, the substitutes actually completely changed the game. And if you look at Forrest and Johnson, people tend to remember Forrest hitting the bar, missing a good chance. Johnson wildly shooting, giving the ball away a couple of times, dribbling the ball out of play because that backs up. You kind of, but if you actually look at look at it, every time Johnson got the ball, what did he do? He went forward. What did he, he, he took? He took the game forward, which Celtic hadn't done hitherto in that match at all. Um, now you know his final delivery, his final pass wasn't great, um, but he had quite a number of pack passes. He um, at least attempted a number of shots. He got into the box, him and um in fact I think him and him and Forrest got into the box more than any other opposition box more than any other uh, player. Uh, Forrest got in six times, Turnbull and Johnson got in four, uh, and that, that and that was it. O'Reilly three. So they completely took the game to Hibbs. I know Hibbs were probably tiring at that point, you could argue. Um and that definitely is a factor, you know, it's easy to be wise after the event and all that. But all of this, you know, and I know that the outcome wasn't there and Celtic didn't score, but actually there's an argument to be made, I think, that should should Rodgers have actually started with a with, with a, quite a refreshed team. Because to me, as much as you might not have liked some of the end product of Forrest and Johnston, they at least drove forward and they at least got into the box and they at least made things happen. They at least tried to push Hibs back, which hadn't happened, virtually hadn't happened at all. In the preceding sixty minutes, um, and similarly, you know, would a Turnbull have been more uh, more effective than a than a Bernardo in that in that game? Given Bernardo's hadn't started, you know, never played that intensity of game before against that sort of level of opposition. Again, easy to be smart after the event, but it just struck me that you know the, the subs made such a difference, and yet the reaction and <laughs> the reaction amongst a lot of Celtic fans was so negative because of who the subs were. But actually, if you look at the look at what happened. It, it it was a massive improvement. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's one of those games I think where the longer it stays nil nil, and how horrible um, the entertainment value or lack thereof was, that you get this cascading um, exponential rise in disgust by the point where whoever comes on as a sub, unless they pull the game out, it's almost you know they're going to end up with. Um, getting slaughtered from a sentiment perspective. And I, to your point, I think there's such um, anchored views on those players at this point 
I mean, Forrest, we've always talked about the the dichotomy with him and how long he's been dealing with, you know, uh, initial kind of anchoring from when he was a young player. Um, and, and I mean, Mikey Johnston, I, I, I think you might even admit, I, I certainly still have my biases towards him just because of the, how abject some of his, some of his decision-making has been. And we've talked about that over the years too. Um, so yeah, we're certainly not claiming immunity to those, these kind of, uh, <laughs> impulses, but yeah, I, you know, it, I, there, there are certain events that take place in a game that particularly when people have kind of an anchored bias that just, you know, inflame it. And, um, Johnson committed one of them, which is just dribbling the ball out. <laughs> so forget about it right there. That's going to be a big problem. And then the second one is when people just pass the ball out, <laughs> you know, just right out of play and there's a miscommunication or, you know, missed vision in sight of, of the teammate. Um, so yeah, I, I actually thought, you know, there, there was, even watching the game, it, you, you, I, I noticed a, a different energy and, and picking up. And um, so let, let, let's, you know, transition then to talk about um, the impact of, you know, we've, it, it's certainly not a topic I want to keep returning to, but we have to, because it keeps happening. Um, the news with Hitate out at least to Christmas or after Christmas, I think Roger said yesterday uh, to me that, and um had a follower uh, tweet me yesterday about the collagen comment. Um, and I, and I, I joked with him that that's that I thought that's what I have in my butt implant. I thought that was like a, something that people put lip implants and, and when you want that big round tushy that people get implants for these days. Um, but yeah, Roger's talking about collagen levels. And to me, that speaks of a, a, a tear of, of a tendon, a hamstring um, tear, which again, is something that uh, Kyogo suffered under Ange and had to have surgery and was out three to four months. Um, and and as I keep saying, since you know the announcement of Rogers' return back in June, any of these as a one-off, you know, it's not surprising that these kind of players have soft tissue injuries. Um, but you can't just take it in isolation; it has to be put in a broader context. And to me, um, you know, Johnston being allowed to return to the pitch in that game was so ridiculous, such an abject failure of, um, you know, just simple duty of care. I mean, I, I, I said to you, Alan, before we went live, I mean, I'm just some dopey guy in the suburbs that got asked to help uh, assistant coach a, a U-12 uh, rec soccer team uh, a few years back and I underwent training for uh, mandatory training for uh, for for concussion protocols that there is no way in heck that I, I as an assistant coach would have allowed any player to return based off of the, the trauma incident and the symptoms that he was displaying and how he was behaving afterwards. Um, so it's just once again, I mean, it, it at what point do you just throw your hands up and say, what the heck is going on here from a, from a, 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 a sports science and a, a really a health perspective as far as how these players are being taken care of. And, you know, I keep coming back to this issue of culture, which is, I, I just, that, that's why I, I go back to this Johnson issue, which is you can't allow players that are concussed to make the decision to go back onto the pitch. I mean, it's, it's, that's nuts. 
Um, if any, if any player yeah, on that pitch is going to insist upside down, it makes no sense. If any player on the pitch is going to insist he's going to go back on the on on that field, it's going to be Alistair Johnson. Exactly. Yeah, and and it's you know this goes back to the tyranny thought stuff that I've cited in the past, and you know uh, how Kyogo was allowed to basically sever his hamstring, and so I have no idea. Maybe Hitate does have a, a genetic thing, or you know uh, maybe there's something going on here relative to his specific incident and his his uh, body and and health. But again, the pattern here is just and and. You know, this is where I talked about repeatedly in recent weeks about the stacking of risks and the recruitment window being uh, not as good as we had hoped. Now the squad depth, and now you have another bout of injuries here. Um, and I, I shared an article, you know, again, I'll get my cross sports reference in. There, there's a um, first baseman for the Yankees named Anthony Rizzo who experienced the trauma event back in, I think it was April or maybe early May. Um, had passed all of the concussion protocols and, you know, um, was allowed to return after, uh, you know, not that long being out of, of the team and then just performed dreadfully for months. And, you know, they had to go through another battery of tests to really identify that, oh, indeed he had had an, a concussion and that he was still suffering from, you know, kind of the lingering effects of this stuff. So again, I have no idea what with Johnston you know, who, who knows? I'm, I'm not, you know, um, someone trained in these things other than <laughs> dopey youth football or soccer. But, you know, the, what I do know, because uh, I'm married to a doctor and this qualifies me, just like uh, in, in uh, Larry David's show, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, <laughs> is, um, you know, allowing him to go back on the pitch like that makes that worse. Meaning that, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The fact that he was not immediately removed and, and cared for, um, you know, can make all of this stuff worse. So, um, 
yeah, it's just now, now we're back to this cycle of potential injuries returning and, you know, midfield, we're left with not a lot of depth there. Well, there's certainly numbers, but we don't know what we've got. I think that's the problem. But I mean, you're coming back to the injuries. I think, you know, the Johnson thing, you know, it echoes of, I think, Lustig quite a few years ago where he, he you know, whoever it was, as you say, the decision should be taken out of the player's hands, right? If they've, if they've had a head knot like that, um, the doctors should really err on the side of caution and uh, really remove them from the field. Um, it's just ridiculous. It was obvious that he was in, in severe discomfort. Uh, and as you say, it's a cultural thing. The player's always going to want to play on. Um, and, you know, if the doctors hide behind that as an excuse for, to let them carry on, then that's that's unforgivable. They need to, you know, they need to be very firm about, and, and as I say, even if even if it's an irritant to the manager um, and they might seem okay, you've got to err on the side of caution when it comes to, to sort of welfare in that sense. The Hitati one, um, you know, he's now got a bit of a history of hamstring injuries. Now, I don't, again, the, 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 I suppose the specifics around him are, one, I'm still a little bit perplexed as to how someone gets that degree of hamstring injury in the, in the first first minute of a game right because that that all that all to me makes me wonder about you know the quality of the of the warm up etc and the conditioning uh, and also you know what are we doing again we come back to this predictive software what are we doing to monitor these things to spot weaknesses and that you know and, and then the more broad issue is how are we deciding that all the players that played on Wednesday night? What you know? Where's the what are this? What are the KPIs? What are the stats that they're using? What is the intelligence that they're using to say? Well, how if one hundred percent is match fit, no issues, blah blah blah. And I'm sure very few footballers are there, right? But you know, where are they? Are they eighty? Are they say eighty-five? Or some of them? You know, there'll be there'll be different stories for different players for sure. Um, but to me. How are you? Is it just a matter of faith that you put the same players on the pitch, tell them they're playing for Celtic, and that they have two hard games a week and get on with it, and therefore they will play well? Well, clearly they won't. And I think you know the third, the third thing that comes out of this for me, and this is going to be really tough for people to swallow, is that where we, the reality of where we are today, is that you know the likes of James Forrest and Mikey Johnson and David Turnbull, they're they're not that much worse if if than the ones that we're picking in the first eleven. There really isn't that much between them. And therefore, you know, if there's any significant doubt about match readiness, about conditioning, about fitness, etc., then you know, swap them out. We've got a huge squad, as Johnson's, as um Rogers said, We've got a huge squad. Some of these players we haven't even seen yet, like at home. We've hardly hardly seen any minutes from at all. Um, you know, Tilio, I think, is only just back from injury, long-term injury, etc. So I think Holmes just back from an injury now, too. So he's Yep, he, I think he had something for the last couple of weeks of calf. I McGregor. Don't yep. Yeah. The side of probably McGregor, O'Reilly, you know, Carter Vickers, um, and Kyogo, that there aren't really, I, don't, I would suggest there aren't any untouchables in that team. And therefore, we, you know, again, being wise after the event, did Rogers probably didn't expect such a flat um, performance as that. But all the. All the signs and the data are there, and it's all all point to fatigue, um, lack of risk taking, lack of dynamism. All the pressing stats were way down, etc. So, what were you seeing during the week that convinced you that they were ready to give the same intensity as was, you know, as was displayed against Madrid, or at least close to, 
against Hibs away, which, as I say, is our hardest uh, away ground. So uh, for me, I, I think it's a real wake-up moment for the whole squad, squad management. You know, we've played a virtually unpicked team. I don't know whether Rogers feels that he's got a starting eleven and not much beyond that. I don't know, you know, uh, but I, I think the reality is probably a, a bit more prosaic than that. I, I don't, as I say, aside from four players that we're probably going to risk burning out, um, we might as well rotate the squad and be as fresh as we can be, is, is my takeaway. Yeah, to, and again, I, I think that the... Um important context of this is, um, you know, part, part of what uh, people that are involved in uh, analysis and analytics do is ask questions, as I always talk about, you know, aligning your, uh, the analysis with what question that's trying to be answered. And we're inherently, at, as outsiders, we're inherently left with an information deficit um, so we have we're, we're going to speculate, right? So the the pattern here that we've laid out um, about long term, you know, injury record with with Rogers as a manager, the culture at Celtic, you know, those those are kind of the mosaic. And um, so when when we ask these questions, it, it's within that context, and we it, it, admitting fully that we can't know really anything, um, but that you know it's the, the old smoke versus fire type of thing where you connect some some dots and, and and you know legitimately i think ask the questions which is what's what's going on here and you know what's being done because to me it's you know as i went on um a couple of times about the tyranny incident and situation and experience is it, it's not only a question of and i you know i think there is some um, the culture aspect of that relative to duty of care and that that's evolved over time and i think that you know, increasingly it's more difficult, but I think reasonable people can disagree on where that line is, right? Where, where's the grin and bear it and play through some injuries versus, you know, where's that um, duty of care issue. But to me, you get, you reach a certain point where it's just like asset, like asset management, people management, stupidity, where you're, you know, you risk losing guys like Hitate for four months, you know, or, or like we did with Kyogo and, you know, we're at the point now where if we lose Kyogo for four months, I mean, what? That's a, that's like um, a league risking level of concentration of risk now with one player. Yeah. Where I, I would legitimately begin to fear, not not like my normal paranoia because it's just there always, but you know, like analytically, oh boy, um, we might lose the league now. Kind of paranoia. Uh, if, if we lose somebody like that for four months. So that's, you know, it's, that's the level here of, of competitive impact yeah. and asset management. And it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. I, oh, I agree. I mean, O'Reilly's soon going to get exhausted out of his sparkling form. If he plays every, continues to play 90 minutes, every single game. McGregor, and the way that he's playing, said, because he, he's got yeah, exactly. the, it's, it's all action. the pedal to the metal. Yeah, it's all yeah. action. Yeah, yep. all action, all action. He's all over the field. He's he covers McGregor and he breaks into the box. He's doing all that. Um, McGregor himself, you know, his decline is well documented. It, it's it's a fact. And Carter Vickers has come back off of off a, off a long injury. Kyogo's twenty eight, had a bad hamstring injury. All these things are, are there. All these things are, are risks, absolutely. And yeah, you know, again, what we're saying is, look, this is the this is what the data says. This is what the the patterns look like. Again, these are questions. You know, we don't know, as James says, but you 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 want what you want to see is is good squad management, good duty of care, good sense of responsibility, really. 
Um, so listen, I, I think this is it's not just a sad it's worth saying, as I keep saying, when we have this conversation, this isn't just a Celtic thing. I suspect you see the same thing at virtually every professional football club, to be honest with you. Um, but, but you know, we, we want our Celtic to be the best the best version of themselves all the time, which is you know, part of the reason for this show. So we'll call it out in, in that sense. But in terms of, you know, back to the game, uh, uh, James, you know, I, it's, it's, I think, um, again, it was one of these where, we keep talking about XG differential, which I think is really important because it it actually highlighted it was it was it was the best indicator of Angeball in terms of its success in domestic terms, and we and we continue to actually linger a long way behind that that level, uh, which is which is a worry. And people scoff at these expected points tables, but they've worked well in the past. They're showing sort of almost parity at the top of the league at the moment. I know we've had the harder games. I know we don't get helped out with late late penalties and all that stuff. But um, you know, all poor that, Ender, all that did you true. see poor Ender? I mean, he's not here to defend he, himself, but he he got. Uh, I think he got the the Carrydale Street meltdown uh, anointment this week, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, very good. You didn't see that? Oh yeah, he, he went. No, viral. no, I didn't see. That. Oh yeah, he went viral. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, listen, you know, I think even Ender's recognizing there's a pattern. <laughs> and by the way, just on that, you know, I'll cover that off quickly. You know, two penalties at Ibrox, both of them were penalties. Absolutely no doubt about that. No, no, no issue with that. But the point, the point is, the point that people will miss, deliberately miss, is that, you know, think about what has revealed itself about the standard of refereeing in Scotland since VAR was brought in, right? And and, and it, the same thing happened in many countries, but it, it kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit on the workings because you suddenly had more of them and you suddenly had more people making bad decisions. Um, and, you know, how many poor decisions have there been in the league? And this is about a question of competence, right? So, so you know, every single manager has probably got numerous horror stories in the league about this decision, that decision, this penalty, that penalty. Why didn't we get this? You see it every week. It could, might, one week it might be Motherwell. Next week it might be Kilmarnock. Celtic went through a horrendous run when it first all came in. So you would think then that, that that almost proves the point that there's a level of incompetence operating here and it seems to infect everybody in the league, except it doesn't. Because there's one team that doesn't seem to suffer any jeopardy, doesn't seem to get that dodgy penalty against them, doesn't seem to get that rather harsh sending off that everyone else seems to get. That's that's the issue. So yes, there were penalties, but my God, they were always going to be given. There was never going to be a case of, oh, we missed that one. Oh, oh we're not sure about that. We're going to err on the side of caution and it's the last minute. Oh, that always happens in the box. I'll, I'll not give that one, right? None of that, none of that. So that's the issue and that is the issue. And, and even, even dear old Ender, has as, as now spotted it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was honored for it. Um, so let, let's, uh, maybe we'll put a, a bookend to the the um, the Hibs game and um, let's move on to uh, looking forward to St. Mirren, uh, who's been an interesting team so far this season. Um, I've taken a look at them a little more closely in preparation for, for today. Um, and they, they've been let's call it materially uh, overperforming. So, and what I mean by that is uh, they're scoring goals at a level that's significantly above what their uh, chance creation would suggest. And again, we're talking about a relatively small number of games, so that's not abnormal. Um, 
but it does indicate maybe that uh, maybe the underlying fundamentals of their performance levels aren't quite in line with where they are in the table, um, which, you know, uh, is, is good and bad from my perspective, because again, I've, I'm always hopeful of teams that show up at, at Celtic Park to maybe have a go. And I suspect that might not be the case with Mr. Robinson. He's a pretty good manager um, within the context of, uh, of the league and um, usually well-organized um, in looking at what they've been doing for the most part when they're away in particular, but when they're playing uh, kind of top four or five wage bill teams, you know, the big Glasgow and Edinburgh clubs in Aberdeen, um, setting up kind of in a 5-4-1, uh, whereas when he's playing, you know, Dundee at home, he's going 3-4-3. Three, three. So obviously that's fluid, but um, if you look at kind of where they're setting up defensively, average line and and uh, what metric defensive distance, I, I don't think they're going to park the bus in the sense, they're unlikely to park the bus in the sense of, um, you know, cratering completely around the 18. But I think, you know, they'll play kind of a mid-block to, to more defensive and, you know, cover the wings and crowd the crowd the middle. Um, they, they've, I think, smartly converted Gogic to a center back. He's been playing in the middle of the back three, uh, which again, within the context of of Scottish football, I think is a pretty athletic, uh, decent pace, uh, kind of strong, skillful guy playing that kind of position. Uh, decent in the air, that kind of thing. So I, you know, he, I think they're going to be a, a a challenge and an annoyance. Um, and if we don't play much different or better than we did on the weekend, I could see another horrible nil nil. It's kind of a a a a, 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 a poor outcome. Um, that should you know isn't the base case. Shouldn't be the base case. Um, you know, kind of generically, St. Mary and home should be you know kind of the two nil baseline. Um, but I could see the formula here based off of the blueprint from the weekend that we need to do a better job in multiple aspects in order to prevent that from happening. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, just a couple of things. I uh, agree with all that. Things I've picked up about them is, you know, no, no team plays less passes in their own half. So they just they just do not play football in their own half at all. Um, and they've actually got the highest long ball um passing completion rate. Um, so 15% of long balls uh, that they attempt, they actually complete, which is the highest in the league, <laughs> bizarrely. Um, and the other interesting stat is that they've got the highest ratio um, of shots taken in the box, which suggests some smarts being applied. Um, so what I mean by that is 79% of their attempts at goal occur within the box. Um, that's 13% more than Celtic. Um, so they're a team that, you know, they'll, 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 but having said all that, as James said, rightly, they are massively overperforming their expected goals. Their expected goals are something like 1.67 per game. And actually they're scoring, uh, just over one a game. So, and, and, and on the other side of that, that they've probably got the, the seventh best goal difference by expected goals, but they're, they're comfortably third. So there's some overperformance there, but based on what we've said, there's also some method clearly in terms of, um, certain philosophies that they're adhering to about, you know, not overplaying in their own half, trying to get as many, you know, shots taken in the box, perhaps not overdoing it in terms of shots outside the box, in terms of, you know, they know long balls are coming. They've got, you know, the likes of uh, strikers that are good, expect to know what they're doing as far as dealing with those 
uh, long balls as well. And as we always say with with, with St Mirren, they've got excellent midfield athleticism, which means that they can, you know, when there are long balls, they, even if they're not winning the initial ball, they can often win the second ball. So, um, you know, but Celtic can't be, surely can't be exhausted uh, a week after. <laughs> After Atletico Madrid again, and surely can't move the ball as slowly, and surely can't be as as uh, risk averse in terms of uh, when the creative players get the ball in the final third. You know, not actually pushing the defence back, but actually trying to. Uh, you know, surely can't be as conservative again. So, as always with these games, I expect Celtic. You know, there, there is a deficit there in terms of ability and so forth. But you know, they, St Mirren, as we've said many times before, they have a plan and they do it very well. Unfair play to them. Yeah, I think to your point, um, you know, you combine the the likelihood of a more disciplined, narrow defensive setup with the um, pragmatic approach to going long out of the back, meaning that or that's going to, to a significant degree, um, you know, make our counter press um, and, and press less uh, effective. Um, and then their, their striker, he's a big dude. So he's, I think he's like six, two, six, three, pretty athletic. Um, so as far as an out ball playing that, getting up the pitch with the second balls that he'll probably create the chaos, a, a decent amount. And again, this is going to come back to, um, I would be shocked if the strategy isn't launching those long balls to our defensive left into, uh, you know, the triangle of, of, uh, uh, basically heart scales and and taylor um in, in, down down that side of the pitch so yeah it, it's um you, you they've got almost... I'm sorry james in in yep. in in, in uh, tanzer in tanzer the guy that lad that plays sort of left wing back or left back left wing back he's actually one of the most creative players outside the top two and has been for yep. a number of years his delivery from the left is excellent so again not just from open play but also set play as well so he's he's definitely say... um, a threat yeah yeah, and that that th this is one of those games where you can almost write the script as far as how the opponent's going to play. Um, so the question is, you know, what do we do about it? <laughs> and that I think that'll be the the litmus test in the short term, which is coming off of that game from the weekend. If anything, um, Saint Mirren's likely to be even more the version of Hibbs of what Hibbs was on the weekend, um, and and you know, so that that'll. That'll be uh, interesting. So, yeah, let, let's leave it there, and we move forward to the weekend. I think um, I don't. I didn't even look that far ahead. So, but we'll be back to to talk about uh, the weekend preview that a little bit. I think on Friday is when we're looking to uh, to maybe reconvene with with uh, Mister Famous, Mister um, Viral, and Nicole. Hopefully. The referee basher, yeah, the guy who yeah, the rep referees all the time. The, yeah, yeah, the conspiracy theorist um, and Nicole yeah, yeah. will we'll, we'll return Friday. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get to to uh, discuss passing the litmus test tomorrow with flying colors and and uh, we break down their 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 low block with uh, four or five goals. So, uh, as always, thank you for watching on those on uh, YouTube. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button and uh, comment below if you haven't already. Um, those on Spotify or uh, Apple iTunes, if you can leave a review, that'd be great as well. Um, and that's it for the holiday edition, or the holiday, the Halloween edition of uh, the, the Huddle Breakdown. Yes, and um, we will be back on Friday. So enjoy tomorrow's game, and uh, we'll talk to you then.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.